The infrastructure for central bank digital currencies is being built before our eyes. With the recent launch of the Federal Reserve's FedNow system, everything is primed for CBDCs to potentially replace physical cash. So, what does this mean for you? Hey, this is episode 793 of the Ready Your Future podcast, where I connect you with resources that will help you prepare for a better future. It's all about loving your people, getting prepared, and living free. I'm Todd Sepulveda, a regular guy living in the suburbs who understands the need to be better prepared for the future. Hey, are you looking to up your preparedness knowledge? Don't spend time bouncing around the internet for the best preparedness content. Instead, sign up for the top preparedness articles and get them right in your email. For $5 a month, you can get the top preparedness articles from around the internet sent to your email weekly. You can choose to read them or drop them in the Pocket app and have them read to you as you go about your day. The Buy Me a Coffee link to the top preparedness articles is in the show notes. Hey, everyone, and welcome to another Ready Your Future podcast episode. I'm so glad that you're hanging out with me on this one. Hey, this is an interesting article that we're going to look at today. This was uh, written by Daisy Luther over at The Organic Prepper, and it's about you know CBDCs. It's a topic that's interesting to preppers for a lot of different reasons, and it's something that recently came up in our email group as well, where we were talking about it and people were sharing different things about it. And so I thought it would be one of those that we would want to uh, kind of talk about it and look at and discuss it. So again, it's coming to us from theorganicprepper.com. The title is Fed Now is Live and the Framework is in Place for CBDCs. So let's go ahead and read this one. It came out July 21st. There's 63 comments on this one. So there's a lot of uh, traction on this topic here. So let's go ahead and jump in. Yesterday, with a bit of fanfare, but not too much fanfare, a wonderful, that's in quotes, new product was launched. FedNow is live, and we can all transfer money to our heart's content via the Federal Reserve. Wow, that sounds great, doesn't it? Of course. That is a spot created by the Federal Reserve and uploaded on the Federal Reserve YouTube channel. So 35 banks across the country are participating in this launch. So this is a quote uh, by Axios Reports. It says, by the numbers so far, 35 banks have signed up as early adopters of FedNow, including J.P. Morgan Chase and Wells Fargo, but notably not including Citigroup or Bank of America. That number is rather lower than the Fed led us to believe as recently as June. The U.S. Treasury is also signed up as an early adopter of FedNow. Some 353 banks and credit unions have signed up for RTF. In order to use either service, both the sending and the receiving bank need to be signed up for the system, end quote. So we are now officially on that slippery slope I've been talking about. I wrote about exactly this happening in my dystopian fiction, Good Citizens, and discussed how this could evolve to control almost every aspect of our lives. So why I'm concerned about the Fed now is live. A while back, I wrote an article discussing a payment gateway designed by the Federal Reserve called FedNow. This is a way to make instant transfers between accounts, sort of like PayPal or Venmo, but without the users having to move the money from various wallets. While it sounds convenient, the concern is that this puts the infrastructure to quickly roll out CBDCs into place. Previously, I wrote about this. On March 15th, in the midst of the banking collapse, the Federal Reserve issued a press release detailing a new instant payment system that will be launched in July. That system is called FedNow. Here's what they said about it. Quote, 
The first week of April, the Federal Reserve will begin the formal certification of participants for launch of the service. Early adopters will complete a customer testing and certification program informed by feedback from the FedNow pilot program to prepare for sending live transactions through the system. Certification encompasses a comprehensive testing curriculum with defined expectations for operational readiness and network experience. In June, the Federal Reserve and certified participants will conduct production validation activities to confirm readiness for the July launch. We couldn't be more excited about the forthcoming FedNow launch, which will enable every participating financial institution, the smallest to the largest and from all corners of the country, to offer a modern instant payment solution, said Ken Montgomery, first vice president of the Federal Reserve Bank of Boston and FedNow program executive. With the launch drawing near, we urge financial institutions and their industry partners to move full steam ahead with with preparations to join the FedNow service. Many early adopters have declared their intent to begin using the service in July, including a diverse mix of financial institutions of all size, the largest processors, and the U.S. Treasury, end quote. So this has all the hallmarks of government strategy. First, they offer it as a convenience or a safety measure, in quotes. Lots of people will jump on board in order to take advantage of this. Of course, we've heard this song before. Next, it will be pushed harder, and those who don't adopt it will be mocked, thought of as backward, and treated with suspicion. After that, it'll be darn near impossible to do anything without it. Sound familiar? Quote, the Federal Reserve Banks are developing the FedNow service to facilitate nationwide reach of instant payment services by financial institutions, regardless of size or geographic location, around the clock every day of the year. Through financial institutions participating in the FedNow service, businesses and individuals will be able to send and receive instant payments at any time of day, and recipients will have full access to funds immediately, giving them greater flexibility to manage their money and make time-sensitive payments. Access will be provided through the Federal Reserve's FedLine network, which serves more than 10,000 financial institutions directly or through their agents. End quote. But what truly makes me worried is that since FedNow is live, this is a soft way to move us all over into using a federal money transferring system that could easily be the platform for the implementation of CBDCs, the digital dollar that could end freedom as we know it. Please note that what we have with FedNow is not a CBDC. It's just a payment gateway. But now the early infrastructure is in place for CBDCs. Changing a nation's entire currency is not an overnight project. If we were to go completely digital with our money, it would take a while. Several things would need to happen first. A national financial infrastructure would need to be created that links accounts from all the banks to an information highway. They need to get people comfortable with using this system, and to do that, it would need to be fast and convenient. Who wouldn't want their money right away? It feels like a win to sell a car and have 20000 in your account instantly without waiting for the check to clear. This provides some time to work out any bugs. The folks adopting FedNow would be the guinea pigs. It's new, but everyone expects new stuff to be glitchy. If you're getting in on the ground floor, you're probably willing to be patient with that. Next, they'll want to get as many people voluntarily using it as possible. Expect generous offers, outrageous convenience, and free or cheap transactions. Once it's all in place and running smoothly, 
the final transition from cash money to digital money would just be a matter of the central bank devaluing our cash but allowing people to trade it for digital at full or at least greater value. If you've never listened to me before, please listen to me now. This is the road we're on, and once CBDCs are in place, especially if they are the only option, your every transaction will be monitored. Data will be mined from your spending, and your choices can be controlled. So what's the big deal with CBDCs? CBDC stands for Central Bank Digital Currency, and these are digital versions of a country's currency. A digital currency alongside our current physical currency is voluntary. My concern is when the digital currency becomes the only option. And I do mean when, not if. A digital currency could mean such controls as automatic taxation or where and when you're allowed to make purchases, all at the push of a button. The most likely way this will be rolled out is to fight inflation and fix the economy. Quote, a, wor a world with lower inflation and even zero inflation and no persistent recessions may sound like a pipe dream, but we argue that it is possible by transitioning to an electronic money standard. Such a transition requires eliminating the zero lower bound, which central banks can achieve using readily available tools. Breaking the zero lower bound implies that the optimal rate of inflation will be lower than in the presence of the lower bound. This will empower central banks to quickly restore full employment and over the medium term possibly move towards targeting full price stability with zero inflation. All right, end quote. I, I just want to say, doesn't that sound good, right? I mean, we're all dealing with you know, higher prices right now. And so if they can, you know, hey, if you move to a digital currency, we're able to manage all of this and we're able to keep prices down and you'll be able to buy more and everything is better, right? All right, let me continue on with the article. Obviously, any kind of manipulation like this is false. And while there may be some temporary relief, it won't solve the underlying problems with our economy. Bank for International Settlements wrote a glowing report about the benefits of the CBDC system. Here's what I took away from this. Central bankers can execute policy or modify rates instantaneously at the push of a button. Private crypto is bad. Central bank digital currency is good. CBDCs are better than crypto because they're trusted. CBDCs aren't subject to the practical limitations of paper money. They can be tracked. Therefore, it protects against money laundering, proliferation financing, and terrorist financing. It will increase the pool of data generated on users and transactions, thus helping the proper authorities. That's all in quotes. Multiple CBDC platforms aids in decentralization, or that's the global economy. And then on a common CBDC platform across multiple central banks, transactions are recorded on one ledger. I don't think it means what they're trying to tell us it means. So what can you do? I've written a lot lately about the need to get your money out of the banks. You need something of value that does not require you to dance to the tune of the government's fiddle. Imagine if you had a savings account and the value of that money changed with the implementation of CBDCs. Imagine it's worthless, say, by 20%. Suddenly, your 10000 becomes 8000 Your 100000 loses 20000 to become 80000 it would only take a second with the click of a button in some office up on the Mount Olympus of the Fed. If you have savings and you want to protect your money, you need to make at least a portion of it tangible. That means investing in supplies like food, tools, and other long-term preps, land, precious metals. 
I'm not suggesting going out and dealing in only silver dimes if you're in a situation in which you're living from paycheck to paycheck. If you're in those shoes like so many of us are right now, you don't have as many options. It isn't feasible or practical if you're going to need this money right away for existing expenses. But if you are trying to protect existing wealth and this is not money you'll need to access immediately, I urge you to consider investing it in gold or silver to protect your savings during the economic downturn ahead. At the same time, getting your money out of this currency system that may soon be switched to CBDCs is the only way to ensure it remains yours. All right, so there's going to be a couple of paragraphs here where Daisy is promoting a specific uh, you know, precious metal company. So I just want to kind of give you that information. So it, um, it's kind of embedded into this article because she is talking about precious metals. I'm going to talk a little bit about other things that we can do. I mean, she did mention like buying land and, and tangibles and things like that. But uh, I'll talk a little bit about some of this stuff here at, at the end. But I'm going to go ahead and read this to be faithful to the article. I'm just appreciative of Daisy putting up this article. But uh, these, like I said, these next couple of paragraphs are just uh, promoting this specific company. So moving on, she says, I use ITM trading out of Phoenix, Arizona for all of my metal metals purchases. I know there are plenty of good companies out there, but I prefer ITM because of their focus on education. I've learned so much in my consultations, which are free, by the way. I've been very impressed with the access to curated resources, research, and weekly insights on macroeconomics, central banks, currencies, and the global reset that they provide. To me, there's really no other option for my purchases. If you want to schedule a strategy session with ITM, it's absolutely free and there's no pressure whatsoever. Some folks take weeks or months before investing and others decide it isn't for them. But what every single person walks away with is a clear understanding of the monetary system and what investing in precious metals entails. And you get it all at no charge. So there's a link here and then information where you can call the phone number and all that kind of stuff. Okay, so if you want to, uh, like always, I'm going to link to the article so you can go and easily get to it. So we're all just one wrong think away from losing our money. Remember in Canada when Trudeau locked down accounts for supporting the truck strike, trucker strike? We're all just one wrong think away from losing access to our money. Another recent precedent regarding losing access to the financial system is the case of Nigel Farage. Both he and his relatives have had bank accounts closed and been unable to open other accounts because they've been named PEPs, politically exposed persons. Farage, if you recall, was pro-Brexit. He wrote, writing in the Sunday Telegraph, Mr. Farage, who said several other banks had denied him accounts, claimed he was the victim of overzealous anti-money laundering regulations. Anti-money laundering rules appeared to have been widely overinterpreted by the Compliance Department of Banks in the UK, he wrote in the Brexit-supporting newspaper. Nobody can deny that money laundering is a problem, he said. Yet a series of agreements, EU directives, and UK rules established to confront this menace have absolutely entirely failed to do so. Banks now live in fear of receiving huge fines. Their default setting seems to be to close down the businesses and personal accounts of anybody who is deemed to require extra due diligence, be they the owner of a window cleaning firm or a pawnbroker. He added, those who are paid in cash are no longer welcome. The compliance cost of servicing these accounts make them unprofitable. Mr. Farage initially claimed that his account with Coots, which acts on behalf of all the royal family, had been closed in an establishment orchestrated revenge mission for Brexit, sparking a free speech row. End quote. 
So it's already happening. People are losing access to the systems for having political beliefs that oppose the status quo that the ruling administration has in place. I know that these two examples are outside the U.S., but that doesn't provide me even a tiny little bit of comfort. I've already suffered massive financial abuse at the hands of government-funded censorship groups. Many others have too. It is, is it really a stretch of the imagination that losing banking privileges could happen here in, in America, the land of cancel culture? What will you do if you can no longer use a bank? How will you get and cash your paycheck? How will you pay your bills now that so many things must be done online? When we are no longer free to verifiously disagree, we aren't free at all. You need a backup plan and you need it now. Fed now is live and I don't believe that good things will follow. So what are your thoughts? Are you concerned about the implementation of Fed now? Do you think that this is just a payment gateway or do you think it's a step towards CBDCs and total financial control? What strategy are you planning to use to survive an attack on financial liberty? So let's talk about it in the comments section. So like I said, guys, there's a lot of comments here uh, in this article and you can go and check them out and maybe join in the conversation if you want. At the time of the reading of this reading, it's, you know, there's 63 comments there. So um, like I said, there are, there's some concern there, right? So if, we, if we're going to boil down this article, just a couple of takeaways here. We have the launch of the FedNow, uh, FedNow system. It provides that infrastructure for easy implementation. It's not in effect now. So just FYI, it's not into effect, but I really believe, uh, you know, Daisy has a good grasp on it, is that like they're, they're getting all the bugs out of it. And that's exactly what you do when you're when you're releasing a big system. Like I know that we do that in the school district that I work for. Before we launch a big software that's going to go district wide, and we have a big district, we launch it at a couple of schools, right? And we just like make sure that all the bugs are worked out, and the school is willing to to do it. They want to be an early adopter. They're all in. They give us feedback and all that good stuff. And then when the the bugs are out of it, then we release it to the whole school district. The same kind of idea is going on right now. It's just a payment system, but it lays the groundwork. It's the system, the infrastructure that can be used. Another key takeaway is that CBDCs can enable unprecedented government control, right? And so we, she talked a little bit about Nigel Farage. And actually, uh, I was listening to a uh, kind of like a prophecy update with Jacob Prash and um, you know the group that that he sits with, and they talk about all the things. And it's really not, you know, it's really not more a prophecy update. It's more just like looking at the, the current news and things that are going on. And sometimes they apply it to what's happening, but uh, or a lot of the times they're just looking at what's happening in the world. And he brought up Nigel Farage as well. And so Trudeau and that thing that happened with the truckers and, you know, it depends on what side you're on. If you're on, you know, if you're okay with what Trudeau did and you're all usually on that leftist side, you're like, you know, hey, yeah, they needed to stop doing that. They were blocking the bridges and all that kind of stuff. And the other people are like, no, man, they they actually turn people's accounts off. Uh, we know that in Colorado, right, there was people who they started controlling the air conditioning. Right? <laughs> that, that would suck, right? Especially right now when there's this heat wave, they're able to electronically control their air condition, their central air and heat from, you know, from a central location. Who wants that? And so all this stuff is kind of being put in place. And you think about money and how easy it is to go and pay, you know, throw down a credit card or you have cash or whatever it might be. And then all of a sudden you're not able to do that and all the things that that would affect. 
Another key takeaway is we need to be able to protect against CBDCs and the risk and, and, and what comes about. You know, if, if that was to come about, what would you do? And I want to spend the next little time here in this episode talking a little bit about that, right? So why why should we be concerned? Why would you know preppers, those who want to live a self-reliant life, those people that want to like, you know, let me live my life and leave me alone type of deal, you know, why are those people con- should be concerned? So here's a couple of things. It's that loss of financial privacy. One of the things they're talking about is that, you know, hey, we can track all these different transactions. Oh, well, that's good, right? And they, they talk about, you know, uh, terrorists and they talk about money laundering and they talk about all that kind of stuff. But the bad thing is that they can track every single transaction, right? And so that's that's a, a, a key. All that data goes somewhere, right? It's all that data goes somewhere and they're able to to look at that. And uh, that's that's a problem. You know, one of the things I didn't bring up was China. And this system is pretty much already put in place in China. And so you heard about when the when when China was opening up because of COVID and people started protesting and there were, you know, protests were going and, and, and they were uh, going big. They were able to control people by turning off their ability to travel. It's like, hey, you no, know, you uh, there were people around you. And so basically what was happening is uh, there were people they would say uh, you would go through, you know, like a, a bus or, or a train or whatever. And then you would be denied access because you were around people that might have uh, been, you know, had COVID or whatever. And so it's part of like, hey, we're trying to control COVID so you don't get to travel. And really what it was is somehow they realized that those people were going to the protest. And so they locked those people down or the people that were more likely to go to the protest or the people that were talking about the protest in social media or they were anti-government or they were upset with the government. They were able to do that. And so you, you see that happening all the time right now in China. And there's plenty of information online about what's going on in China. And it's like there, there is a system in place that can control the population and the movement of the population. Some people can't even leave their city. They're locked down on their city. And so you have this, you know, this social, um, you know, the social number that they've given to you. So some other concerns that people have are, you know, the, the lockouts, kind of like I, I mentioned there about the, uh, you know, the Canada and, and things like that with the truckers. And now it wasn't only the truckers, but it was people who gave towards the truckers. They were able to track those people down and lock, lock down those accounts. And people didn't get their accounts back for weeks. And that's, you know, that's just, that's just wrong, right? Um, you got the programmable money, right? This would... Uh, allow the government to tell you how much you can spend. You know, what if they were, what if they got to a point, and I know this is very dystopian kind of thinking here, but what if they got to a point where like you're, you're just buying too much meat, right? I mean, you, you, you purchased your allotment for meat for the month. You can't buy any more meat. You've got to buy something else. I mean, what about that? You know? Um, what about the, the, the censorship where you can't, you know, you can't buy certain, what if you were, you know, Hey, I, I like to support, uh, preppers or I'd like to go support Daisy and buy her book. Well, no, you can't buy her books or her things because, you know, she talks you know, she's anti-government. And so they're able to, to censor things there. And then you're completely dependent on the CBDCs, right? It's like, you're completely dependent on the government. What if there was, some kind of you know error, a computer error. What if there was you know like no everything is tracked. There's one ledger. Blah 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 blah. 
What if there was errors? What if there was, you know, that you know, people always talk about the EMP? What if there was the EMP or cyber attacks or something like that, you know? And then that that would, uh, you know, cause issues. What about deplatforming? There's plenty of people before Elon Musk, uh, you know, before he bought Twitter, there's a lot of people who were, I remember in one weekend uh, when I had a uh, prepper website, I lost like 3,000 people off of Twitter. It just like, they were just completely, you know, uh, just just erased from my from my number um i know for a long long time facebook would not allow me to share anything from prepper website i could go and share any other article from any other website but prepper website it would not allow me to share it would tell me that it would go against community standards so now the person who bought it i don't know how they did it but they were able to get access to it maybe they were like hey we you know uh, i'm the new owner maybe i don't know and they were able to get access but um that was one of the things that, that I wasn't able to do. And it was Facebook just looked at Prepper website as one of those negative things. I think probably because of the alternative news. I think that was probably one of the big things there. But think about that. I mean, if you or, you know you look at alternative news or you read alternative news and that is somewhere in your whole you know scope of, of internet traffic, that might be something that they would want to do. And so deplatforming is something that it's 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 a thing it's ha- it happens to people right now and it happens to other people uh in the future you just know it's going to happen uh, by the way uh, i did contact the person who bought prepper website and i asked them about the other social media accounts because he wasn't doing anything with them i noticed that there wasn't any uh any any posts or anything like that since uh the last time that i posted when i owned it and he said, I'm not doing anything with it, Todd. If you want them, you can have them. And so he hadn't changed the password or anything. So I went and took it over again. So I, I have Prepper website. I rebranded it as Ready Your Future. And so, uh, you know, I have a I have a software that where I can post, you know, to one thing and it sends it everywhere. So if you are on social media, you know, you have the, you know, it, those are there. Just want to let you know there that. All right. So what are some things that we can do, right? Now, Daisy talked about, she, she briefly covered, you know, tangibles and food and all the things that we do normally to prep. She talked about land. She talked about gold and silver and, uh, you know, all those things I completely agree with. So let's just talk a little bit about some of these things. You can convert a portion of your savings to physical precious metals like gold and silver, and that's outside of the banking system. But here's the thing. If you are going to go the precious metals route, you have to obtain the physical metal. Don't do a thing where you're buying into, hey, I, I'm buying into stocks or, or they're holding it for me in some certain place and then I can ask for it, but then you know it'll take three or four weeks to, to, to get to me. No, you don't want to do that because that kind of defeats the whole purpose of everything. You want to be able to have, you know, you want to get delivered physical metal and you want to be able to safeguard that, you know, have a safe that's nice and heavy and maybe even drill down into the, to the, to the foundation of your home to where no one can just pick it up and go with it. And you're able to put your precious metals in there. Another thing, a lot of preppers believe that when the poop hits the fan, and all you know, everything happens, and the and, and the collapse happens, or whatever happens, you know, whatever whatever happens, that all of a the sudden their silver and gold is going to make them rich, and that is just not the case. That's not don't you don't purchase 
metals for that. You don't pr- you don't purchase precious metals for that. You you purchase precious metals as a store of wealth. And so I remember doing an article, actually not doing an article. I remember sharing an article from Survival Blog. It was in the Preparedness Review. It was a newsletter that I used to put out years and years and years ago. And I would ask different authors if I, you know, if they could share a, uh, you know, an article, if I could put an article in this, this review. And so one of them was from a book from James Wesley Rawls. And there was a chapter in there where he just explains silver really, really well. And what, you know what, I'm going to go ahead and link to that one in, uh, in the show notes. And so if you want to, you can go check it out. Can't remember the name of the book. It's like a, it's like a, a, a sequel to Patriots, but it just kind of gives you an understanding of precious metals and how to really look at it. But the idea that the poop is going to hit the fan and then all of a sudden you're going to be rich and you're going to be like a millionaire and you're going to be rolling in the dough. Uh, get that out of your mind. That's not the way that it plays out. The other thing is, is that when the poop hits the fan and then you need to be able to use your silver or your, you need to be able to use your gold or whatever you have, people are not going to understand what it is. They're not going to understand the value of it. Right now, you have, and you've seen those videos before where people go and they, they offer like a five ounce silver bar and a Hershey bar. And they're like, which one? Yeah, hey, I want to give you a free gift. You, you can choose this, this five ounce silver or you can choose this, this uh, Hershey bar. And everybody picks the Hershey bar. Now, you know that there's at some point some people realize and they pick the silver, right? And so you know that they're probably only showing you the people that pick the Hershey bars. But still, there's people out there, I'm like every single person should be like, I'm going to pick the silver. You know, I'm going to take the silver bar and, and, and take it with me. So even if it was a one ounce, it would be so much more valuable than the Hershey bar that that is. Well, now, I mean, candy bars are so expensive now. Have you priced those suckers? I mean, in some places, they're like $2 for like something that used to be 50 cents. It's crazy how expensive things are right now. But anyway, it's just people don't understand. So when the poop hits the fan and you're like, man, I'm going to bring out my junk silver and I'm going to go ahead and trade with this, you, you need to be able to be in a place where other people understand silver because if not, or, or how junk silver works or, or how, you know, silver works and exchanging and, and all that kind of stuff, because people are not going to understand that right away. And so usually that's way down the road, right? Way down the road when, when things start to settle down and, and, and come back up, there's some kind of semblance of, of society. So just kind of really think about that. Another thing is again the tangibles. So land, if you know, if you have land, you know, I, I heard a while back, you know, this idea, this concept. You really don't even own the land that you own because you still have to pay taxes. And if they wanted to, they can, you know, the government could always come and take it, or you know, they can up the taxes so much that you couldn't pay for it, and then they could take it. And so you always have that idea. And I don't know if it would ever go there. I mean, we're talking about like land out in the country or something along those lines. I mean, you'd have to be like way, way, way out there and it's like really dystopian kind of deal. But that, that idea is always there in the back of your mind. But land is one of those things that is would be an investment, especially land that you can use to, to, to raise, raise uh, livestock on, land that you can uh, grow anything on, a land that has uh, water on. All those different kinds of things would be very, very valuable. 
tangible things like tools, tools that you can use and equipment that you can buy, hard assets that maintain their value, right? I'm not talking about going out and buying, uh, you know, going out and buying uh, more TVs or something along those lines, but things that would hold their value, things that people would want. I know that I've said this many times before, but um, if you're new, maybe you haven't heard this one. Uh, I remember listening to, uh, I think it was it was Peak Prosperity, Chris Martinson. He said that one of the ways that people like you know you had all those revolutions in Europe and and you know people revolting and, and people you know chopping people's heads off and all the different kinds of things. One of the ways that the people who had money kept their money, even when they were like run out of the country is they kept it in tangibles. And so one of the things was their land, they kept the deed for their land, right? And think about like you're having to bug out because uh, you know the, the countryside is coming with pitchforks and torches and they're coming to, to, to behead you. And so you have to leave in a quick way. So they would always take the deed to their land so that they always come back at a favorable time and say, hey, this is ours. They would always have their gold and silver in a way that they can quickly move it. And then they would have their art in a way where they could uh, not necessarily take the frame, but they could roll up their art, their precious art, and take it with them. And so they have tangibles that they can lead, you know, go very quickly. Um, I know that Ferdinando Aguirre has talked about this before in, you know, in Argentina about how the precious metals were traded and things like that uh, when people would go out and they would barter and even people would cut off pieces of, of you know, gold chains and, and things like that because that held its value. So think about that. I think that's something important. Another thing that Daisy talked about was just stocking up on food and water and those different kinds of things, right? Um, you can also do barterable supplies. The thing is, is that, you know, you have medicine, uh, ammunition, and a lot of people are like, okay, you, you don't want to barter ammunition, but you know, what about medicine? What about, you know, uh, you know, food, do you really want to barter food? Because, you know, what if you run out those different kinds of things, you know, there's always ways around it and, and different things like that, but that's something that you can stock up on. If you're going to stock up on barterable, you know, one of the things I always hear about and read about and videos and stuff, or people are like, uh, you can, you know, uh, ways to make fire, you know, and it's like, I, I'm going to buy a bunch of lighters. And so there might be some of that, but I think people will be able to make fire pretty easily. That would be a skill that people would learn pretty quickly. Uh, think about the things that are harder to get, things that people would really, truly want. And those are the things to, uh, to consider. A lot of the times the list that you see on a lot of prepper websites are just like, no, that's just, I don't see that, right? Think about the things that people would truly want to barter. Um, you can always, if you're into crypto, you can always move some funds into crypto and kind of go from there. If you're going to go to crypto, I think you probably want to go with uh, a crypto that is very well established and you know, kind of go from there instead of one of the ones that are just kind of popping up. Um, the other thing you can do is support efforts to limit CBDCs when when they're they're being talked about and they're coming out like be be one of those people like you, we we've seen it with like you know Budweiser where people are like hey we're we're going to we're, we're not going to buy them anymore and they've like they're off the top 10 list of beers right now they've lost so many billions of dollars it's not even funny it doesn't even make business sense anymore it's like you know what what are they doing you know people stop going to target and people will target well, people will target you know, businesses that are not 
favorable in the way that they're thinking. And I think when it goes to this, people are just going to have to be very firm. And it's like, hey, no, we're not going to support that. Eventually, they could get to a point like, hey, sorry, we're just not. Anytime you spend cash, it is just being taken up and sent to a central location and being destroyed. And the only thing eventually that's going to be out there is digital currency. So I don't know any way that you can uh, you can fight against it, you know, prolong it. I think that would be smart skills that you can build to help produce food, to uh, repair things, to be less dependent on the consumer economy. I think that would be very, very smart. Uh, we are a throwaway society nowadays where everything is so easy to, to throw away and to, to go buy things. And it might be uh, very beneficial to be that handyman, to be that DIY person that can make things happen and make things come back to life, right? Hey, this lamp is broken and you're able to, you know, put some new wire in it, whatever it is, and you're able to solder and you're able to, to, to make it happen and, and, and bring it back to life. So I think that would be a smart thing to do to, to help to, uh, to, to, guard against this situation right or at least to prolong the the inevitable because you know she said this in her article uh it's not if but when and we don't know what we're talking about i mean are we talking about three years down the road four years down the road are is there going to be another big event that they you know during you remember during the lockdowns they were saying you know currency who is bad you know you can you can transfer the virus on on you know on uh, on uh, you know currency and stuff like that and so are they going to do something like that to kind of force everybody there i don't know the last thing is is just build your local community connections i think that's something that uh, you know i always talk about knowing your neighbors and and getting to know your community and doing what you can to build connections so when you need to depend on other people you know if there was a situation like like this that, that went down and you needed to like, hey, I am going to try to barter as much as I can. You know, knowing more people and knowing what they have to offer, having connections out there would be a better deal. So a lot of things to think about there. I mean, you know, some people would, would say, Todd, do you really think that it's going to go there? I mean, have you would you have thought that we are going we would be where we are three, four years ago? Would, would you like, hey, we're going to be where we are right now with the craziness that the world is in and the way people just you know go with certain things? I mean, now you're starting to see more pushback in, in certain areas, but still, it's just like, you know, would you have ever thought that we would be where we are right now? And if you start to just extrapolate a little bit further, you start just going down, down the road a little bit longer, it can be a pretty scary place, right? Some people don't even like to think about it, you know, where, where we're going. And so it's one of those things to, to be thinking about now. I don't think we need to crawl under our desk and, you know, roll up in a fetal position and, and cry ourselves to sleep. But I think it's just like anything else is being smart and being prepared for, you know, what is that going to look like? There's going to be some of your money that you're not going to have any choice. It's going to be rolled up into that, you know? And so what decisions do you need to be making right now to move, you know, to, 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 to face this when it comes down, when it comes down to it, could you completely barter everything? You know, probably not, you know, could you, could you find ways of, of, of sustaining though? I mean, possibly, what would happen? How would you pay your your utilities? How would you pay your mortgage or your rent and different things like that? 
So a lot to think about there. All right. So guys, um, I'm going to go ahead, like I always, I'm going to link to this article. And so you can go check it out over at theorganicprepper.com and uh, read the comments and join in on the comments and, uh, you know, see where you're at with all of that. You know, it's a crazy world, crazy world that we're living in, but hopefully we can be thinking about this now. Well, guys, that's uh, it for episode 793. If you found this episode valuable, I would appreciate a review wherever you listen to the podcast. And if you are listening to this podcast and you haven't subscribed, well, make sure you click the subscribe button in your favorite podcast app. And that way you never miss another episode of Sweet Prepper Goodness. And lastly, don't forget to join the email list if you haven't. When you do, I'm going to send you my blackout checklist to know what you should do before, during, and after the lights go out. And with that, choose to live a more self-reliant life. Choose not to be so dependent on the government grid or the grind. Until next time, live with no regrets and stay prepped and aware. Peace.